Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And we're live. And today's guest is Trouble. From the beginning, we're going to be flipping things around on you. Um, if, you're, if you're tuning into this, I hope you drank your coffee already because we're going to flip around your approach to content, your approach to marketing. Uh, my guest is a best-selling author. He's a keynote speaker. He has his own podcast. He's the founder and chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, part of the Content Marketing Institute. Robert Rose, how are you, sir? I'm doing really well. I'm not sure. I, that, is, that is some good energy right there. I'm not yeah. sure I can match quite that, but um, I'm ready to roll for sure. Well, here, I'll pass you one of these energy drinks here. Have, oh, thank you very much. I, I yeah. could use that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, if you, if you get too much energy, I'll pass you a shot to kind of take it back down. <laughs> well, that's more, that's more like it. Yeah. <laughs> give, me, give me a tequila any day of the week. Uh, that would be a different kind of podcast. That'd be a fun podcast. <laughs> well, I've done a couple of those drunk shows and <laughs> trust me, they sound a lot better than they actually, I mean, they don't end up sounding really great, but they, the concept of it sounds a lot better than it actually is. Right, right. <laughs> It's kind of like the idea of uh, drinking and how it inversely affects your ability to karaoke. It's just, <laughs> well, you know, I suppose that's all perspective, isn't it? <laughs> gives you the courage and then slowly but surely it takes exactly. away your ability if you even had it in the first place. So. Right. <laughs> so, so, hey, the theme, it's all around content, content, freaking content. Yeah. And, and this is part of our marketing uh, leadership series, getting thought leaders in the space, talking about what they're seeing now smashing BS and then also talking about where we're going in the future. And so here, I'm going to pass you this thing. Okay. And uh, it's heavy. So go ahead and take that. That's okay. Thank you. Yeah, Thor's it is heavy. Hammer. And uh, go ahead and pick up Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing, you know, some bogus strategy or some misconceptions you've been hearing. You just want to set the record straight. Sure. Well, the one that comes leaping to mind uh, would be that content is cheaper, uh, it is easier, um, and it is uh, uh, more efficient um, than basically creating ads or, or those types of things. And it's not. Content is more expensive, it takes longer, and it is harder. Um, than creating ads or catalogs or those kinds of things. And sadly, there are a lot of people out there that really are still evangelizing this idea that content marketing is cheaper or content marketing is more efficient um, than, uh, than creating ads. And it's just not true. It's just, mm -hmm. um, it, it's just absolutely not true. Now, having well, said all of second. that. You're, you're a content guy. Of are course. You, are, you, are you smashing yourself here? Uh, no. I've heard the vendors out there say that it's the bee's knees. You got to do nothing but content and you'll be fine. So, but you're, you're stirring up trouble here right at the beginning. Yeah, I, you know, and because here's the thing, you know, I, I want people to be good at it, right? Right. And, and this, the thing is, the, the, the good news is that done well, content can also provide for exponential more value than ads or catalogs or those kinds of things. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, if so for example, go to your agency and ask them for an ad and they'll say, great, 
um, and they'll deliver you three versions of that ad. I don't know why it's always been three, but you're going to get three versions of that ad. And one of them is going to be kind of what the creative brief said. And one of them is really not going to be, and one of them's so out there that you're just like, what the hell is this? Right. And so you're, and then what you're going to do is you're going to do the thing that every agency hates which is you're going to go, well, can I have a little bit of number one and a little bit of number two? And the agency is going to talk bad behind your back. Just know that. But they're going to do it. And they're going to come back and deliver you that fourth version. You're going to go, great. And you're going to get a bill. Right. Now go ask that same agency for a piece of content. And after they get up off the floor and go, what? I don't even know what, do you, what you mean by that. Then they're going to ask, well, how good do you want it to be? Because if you want it really good and you want like all thought leadery and all that kind of stuff, well, it's going to be really expensive. We have to go hire a subject matter expert. We actually have to go do research. We actually have to make it great. But if you just want like the top five reasons you need aluminum siding on your house, well, then we can do that for five cents a word. And we've got an author freelancer who can do that. Yeah, That's the key is that great creating value with content is harder. It's just simply harder than writing an ad or writing a brochure or writing a catalog or writing a web page. It's just yeah. harder. And delivering that value with content is truly takes longer and is and is less efficient. But if we do it well, it provides the level of evergreen value that builds an engagement audience over time. And that value just keeps on building with itself. It just keeps on going. And that's the real difference. That's the real difference that we need to get over here is, is that if we're going to invest in content as part of the portfolio of our marketing strategy, we need to get good at it and mm-hmm. not treat it like the same as we do catalog writing, ad writing, and web page and landing page writing. Right. Cause those things, you know, you kind of just come up with something on the top of your head and then here, here's my pitch. Uh, Maybe some research before, but good content, you're right. You, like the factory approach to content, Ooh, it's a dangerous place to go down. You, I'm, because people can smell bad content. I mean, I, I recently filled out, I saw the ad and sometimes it's like meta, right? You see marketing and if you're a marketer, you kind of go down that path. And, and so I clicked, I'm like, Oh, it's AI plus marketing automation. That sounds great. I fill out the stupid form and uh, the content I got was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> and it was I'm shocked. <laughs> I know you're shocked. <laughs> and uh, it, it was the worst thing. It was so bad that I just, I mean, I was actually angry. And so, of course, a day later, some poor BDR rep had to call me. Uh, was like, <laughs> right? hey, did you see our content? I was like, you guys, it's like, get off my lawn. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Never call me again. Unsubscribe. Marcus spam. <laughs> you know, just the worst. So, that's that's the cost of doing it wrong how so how do we approach it to go down the right path is that the right question to ask even it is and and the thing is we you know what is so hard these days is and i've said this a million times before which is in most businesses and i don't care if you're a small business or you know a fortune 10 business um the approach to content typically is the same, which is content is kind of everybody's job and nobody's strategy. And everybody is expected, you know, I mean, it's even in the resumes and the job descriptions that we, you know, must write well, right? Must communicate well. And we expect everybody to be able to create content, but of course not everybody can at, you know, at the same level, which is fine, perfectly fine. However, The challenge is not that we're hiring people who don't know how to write or don't know how to create content. What we're not doing as a business is creating 
the strategy and the function of content as something strategic to us. And if we don't look at content, which is communication, content is our communication to the world. If we don't look at it at the same kind of strategic level that we do accounting or legal or sales or marketing, we will fail at it because we quite frankly won't put the care and the feeding into the quality. We typically look at it, you said it well, as a machine, as a, you know, as a factory, even some people call their content content factory, which is just wrong. They're not widgets. These are the kinds of things that are going to differentiate us in the market. And so the starting place for any business is to take a step back and to say, how can we start looking at our creation, ideation, production, and management of content as something truly strategic to our business and put the requisite investment into it? Take a step back and ask how we make this, how we make this work. What, what's the strategy behind this? Love that. Yeah, it's basically you look at your, you know, who's creating content and for what purpose, right? One of the one of the things that I say to, you know, classes that I'm teaching or or consulting clients that I've got in front of me is I'll say, look, all of you are creating content, right? So I'll be typically looking at the marketing team, the PR team, the sales team, the executive team in some cases. All of them will sit in a room, you know, sometimes that's 10 people, sometimes it's 50 people. Yep. And I'll say, "Okay, tomorrow, Tomorrow, and, and, and I'm serious with this. I'll say tomorrow, full stop. Full stop. We, we stop. No more blog posts, no more emails, no more catalog writing, no more e commerce um, um, you know, copy, no more Twitter, no more Facebook. It's okay. full stop on content production. Who would miss it? Mm. And if the only answer is ourselves or my mom or you know, my, my daughter who looks at my Twitter feed and sort of giggles, then we have a problem because if, you know, if we don't have anybody calling us up and saying, Hey, I listen, I miss your blog. I miss your mm-hmm. email newsletter, you know, to your point, right? That content you got from that company was bad. Yeah. It would have been better for them to not send you anything at all than it yeah. was to actually send you the bad thing. True. And so we have to take a full stop approach to saying, what is it we're creating? Why are we creating it? And is it, truly as good as our products and services because if our content isn't as good as our products and services then we have a problem and we've got to fix it because our content arguably has to be better than our products and services because it will ultimately be the thing that tips the scales in our favor for our customers to actually become customers so that's the that's the full stop sort of take a step back and look at what we're doing with content and say is it as good as what we produce? Because if it isn't, we have, we, you know, we should stop doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone was warned about the troublemaker approach to content. <laughs> I love it. It's like, stop doing it. And I even, even pause now for my own content and thinking, you know, there is stuff, there is stuff that, yeah. And then there is stuff that I don't know. And so is that just a judgment call on your, yourself or is it kind of yeah, a... T- well, I mean, look, you know, I mean, I am being hyperbolic to sort of make the point and, and sure. you know, make for a good show. But, yeah, you know, yeah. here's, the, here's, the, here's the reality of it. Of course, we have to produce. There's some blocking and tackling stuff that we have to produce, you know. Okay. We have to write the About Us page on the website. We have to send out an email doing x y or z thing you know and so i get that there's some basic blocking and tackling that doesn't have to be shakespeare every time we publish it out but if we're trying to send out something like just 
to the point, if we're trying to send out something that's going to differentiate us as a thought leader, well, we have to lead some thought. And so if we're going to send out something that says, here's the newest thought leadership on marketing and AI, it better be good. It better be better than what we're getting elsewhere. Now, does it have to be amazingly astounding, you know, et cetera, et cetera? That is a judgment call. But ultimately, it has to be better than the last one I got. Uh, otherwise, why am I sending you another one, right? That's the, you know, here I, I was working with an insurance company not long ago, and the complaint um, that the head of content strategy there had, which was basically all the marketing managers would create content for insurance, their blog, their ebooks, their oh, wow. landing pages, et cetera. You know, product marketing managers would do it, the content people would do it. And she, she opened up her content management system and she did a sort and she said, look, if I see one more article on distracted driving, you know, texting while driving, I'm going to kill someone because look, and she pointed at the screen, there were 43 blog posts about distracted driving. Which one of the 42 of those didn't they need? And right. so that's the problem is, is that it's, in some cases, it's just easier to write, to scratch off another check a box and, and write another blog post on distracted driving than it is to go, how do we make this one post that we created or this one white paper that we've created the most amazing thing and most resourceful differentiated piece on distracted driving anywhere. That's the difference. That's taking a step back because 42 others of them were quite frankly wasted money. Agreed. Wasted money from all the people's time put into it. If they paid someone to write it, um, now, now, how do you balance that out with, you know, the idea that people's attention is slight? If you put it on Twitter, you got to put it on there a thousand times for someone to actually see it. 70% of content doesn't get consumed or, or whatever the number might be, right? So, so if they're not even going to see it, why do I put the value into it? it? Is that where people are going? Is that why this is happening or are we just lazy? You know, it's a little bit of all of the above, okay. right? I mean, it, there is a certain amount of, you know, this goes back to the content is kind of everybody's job, but nobody's strategy. And, mm -hmm. and, and this isn't any one person's fault, right? Because some of the content that's getting created in an ad hoc sort of random act of content kind of way, some of it's quite good. Yeah. You know, three or maybe more of those blog posts on distracted driving were pretty good. But quite frankly, they didn't need more. They just needed to, you know, communicate. And it's because we don't have a strategy at its core. Right. And no so strategy. Yeah. we don't have a process, right? We don't have a method for creating and ideating content. Thus, everything, you know, it's, it's the world where I'm a hammer and everything looks like a nail kind of thing. So I'm just going to create something net new. But that goes to your point about attention, which thankfully, you know, the whole goldfish thing is dying. I mean, people, you know, we do have a longer attention span than goldfish. Um, yeah, well, yeah, what's the, I mean, it's kind of like a myth you probably need to smash. Is, what's the, what's the, the details on the? Goldfish? You see it at a lot of conferences, right? Where people will show a picture of a goldfish and they'll point to a study that was done um, actually about, 10 years ago now, not quite 10 years ago, I think it was 2011 or something like that. And it was a study actually done by Microsoft, um, where they actually were quoting a medical study, medical, you know, a biology study, basically, mm -hmm. of not the attention span, they were talking about the memory of a goldfish, they were talking about the memory length of a goldfish. And 
somehow what they did was they conflated this idea of the length of memory of a goldfish with the attention span of a goldfish. And it became this eight second thing. But even that was morphed because what they were actually saying, what Microsoft was actually saying in this original study was not that the attention span or the memory length was bad. They were trying to draw a cute metaphor and they said, listen, goldfish have an attention span of eight seconds. People are spending seven seconds on the front page of your website. Thus, you have a less of an attention span. No, that's not the conclusion. The conclusion should be your website content is so bad, people are going away from it in less right. than seven seconds. Right, and right. Quite a lengthy attention span. They're just not using it because your content isn't very good. That was their original point, which is actually a good point. And so when we see the goldfish slide these days, it's often, you know, talking about how digital and the world of the web has basically reduced our attention spans down to such a small level, but that's not true. Anybody who's binge watched Game of Thrones know that you have a longer attention span than a goldfish. Hell yeah, I've definitely yeah. done that. I think exactly. I Stranger Things in one night. The first but the point is, is what, what it has done, it has reduced our ceiling of attention that we're willing to spend on any one piece of content. Because we understand as humans now that something more valuable is a click or a Google search away. So we have no patience. We have no patience for bad content anymore. We can go get something better elsewhere. Again, not to sort of belabor the experience you had, but you, you know, the, the second you got that AI and marketing automation um, white paper, you said to yourself, ah, I, I don't have to get through the first 10 words of this to know that I don't like it and I'm gonna go to Google and search again. Yeah. And that's the difference. That's yeah. the difference. We have to not only gather attention these days, but actually hold it. And that's the, mm -hmm. that's the most important part. Gather the attention and hold it. So you just roll your eyes every time you see a goldfish? <laughs> well, I roll my eyes every time I see the, you know, some marketing guru up on stage talking about the, the, the goldfish thing, which, ha you know, thankfully, there's been enough written on the myth of it that uh, yeah, yeah. seeing it less and less these days, but I still run across it occasionally. It's funny. It's like playing telephone and then it ends up on a slide deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's the same, by the way, you had mentioned the whole, you know, two thirds or 70%, depending on whose research number you believe sure. of content never goes seen produced by a business. It's the same thing, right? It's just, that's the 43 that, you know, that's the 43 distracted driving blog post, right? you know, two thirds of those will never be seen because quite frankly, they're not relevant in this, ah. the value. And so we just, instead of creating something or improving upon something that already exists, we just create something net new that quite frankly, never rises above the surface of attention. Therefore, it never gets seen by our sales guys because they just reach for what's easy for them, right? And so right. They, you know, I guess, it, yeah. I guess I was falling into that myth as well then thinking 70% of content goes unused. You know, I was maybe justifying that it was all good content, but you're right. It's not, it, it, most of it's not good content. So if, if there, you, to your point, one blog, blog article would have been fine, 42 others on the same topic, of course, no one's reading it. Of course, so, it doesn't matter, it, yeah. right? We produce too much stuff. When we say two thirds of it isn't seen, it's not because two thirds of it, we're not doing a good enough job of promoting what it is is there. We're creating so much that there's no way that they can actually consume it all. And there's no reason for them to consume it all when there's, you know, the, you know, separating the, whatever it is, the wheat from the chaff or the cream from the milk or whatever. That's the, you know, 
we're, we're as consumers as well as purveyors of content and mm-hmm. mostly our sales department and you know PR groups and all of that are our purveyors of content right if they don't you know if they don't need your stuff they're not going to use your stuff right right so so is activation a problem yes it, it and it not as much of a problem if you don't create a bunch of crazy stuff? I mean, lessen the noise and then it's a little bit easier to get it all out there and activate. Yeah. I mean, yes. Activation is a problem only because it's a, you know, I mean, look, we don't have, I don't have to tell you this and I certainly don't have to tell your audience this, that it's a very noisy marketplace out there. And so, you know, paying for attention independent of what it is you're marketing, right? Whether you're marketing content you know, your ideas or your product and service, it's just harder these days. It's just, there's so much to go through and filter through and consumers have better and better and better filters that it's harder to pierce it. It just is. Mm -hmm. And so it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to get into that and money plays a role there. You know, so activating content through paid placement is certainly um, something where we're seeing a huge trend of, of content activation take place. Um, but we're also seeing, you know, that drive the need for better quality content as well. A great example of this is, is what I, I love what Monster is doing. So Monster.com, the big job board, they have their, what they call their career advice center, which, you know, is their publication and their thought leadership resource center, whatever you want sure. to call it. And it's brilliant. It's w- well written. The advice that you get there about how to do your resume or how to do get job interview or, you know, what you should wear and all those, you know, great thought leadership around how to get a job, which is of course right to their yeah, target audience. Skills and, all that. Yeah. and so they do original research and that original research is good. It's differentiated research that gets them coverage on company, you know, from companies like fast company and Inc and Forbes, people who want to write articles about them. And so their PR group is super happy because they're not saying, Hey, here's monsters new, you know, feature or here's monsters new resume search function press release press release they're writing a press release going out and saying hey here's original research that our research team has done on how many millennials you know are now searching for jobs with high school loans or something like Mm -hmm. that right and so it's differentiated content which is helping them drive reach through an earned media in this case um set of uh, of circumstances so yeah activation is hard and, and that's why Ultimately, it all comes back to what we talked about at the top of the show, which is here we're talking about content as a strategy, right? And that includes, as I like to call it, the marketing of the marketing. Hmm. I see. I, you know, I, I browse the site as you're describing it, and you're right. There's templates for resumes. And, and again, it's, it, it's a lot less selfish content. It's just there to be helpful. And it even looks more like a magazine the way it's designed. It, you know, it looks like a buzzfeed or something it just looks like the kind of content you'd consume as opposed to being you know sales collateral it's yeah it's just a good it's just a good um kind of thing it's it's just a really good experience and you know and i will tell you they put real money Mm -hmm. right yeah i mean i clicked on one of the articles and and it's and you could see it's like it it's not a fluff piece. It's got legit, you know, four or five things and they all have questions and answers and yeah. And you're right. That's not an easy investment to make. That's not a, that's not a cheap or an, an easy thing to do. You really have to put your weight behind it and, 
and ideally then hopefully it pays off. It's yeah, that's right. And so, you know, what is so good about what monster does, and this is truly, um, I would say at the heart of every great content marketing strategy is that they look at their experience and for them, it's the career advice center as a product, right? They treat it like it's with the same importance, investment, resources, bandwidth, budget as a product. And so, and they expect that that product of content, that product of an experience is going to provide a return on investment. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about it in those terms, you start to understand that there actually, we can measure this thing. We can actually show ROI. It's not that we're looking at it through the same lens that we look at it as a catalog or a brochure or an ad, because mm -hmm. those quite frankly are not products. Right. Those are campaign tactics that we use to describe the value of our products. But if we look at our content product, are the experiences that we're creating for consumers through that product lens, we treat it differently. It, you, know, a, you know, I will tell you, Monster has a marketing budget for Career Advice Center. They, right. you know, they actually spend money to send those press releases right. to actually advertise it to attract in viewers. And that alone is, is, is a different kind of lens that we look through when we, when we approach this content thing as opposed to sort of straight direct marketing. Right. Right. It's, it's, a, it's not a, like a fickle flame kind of going back and forth, like a campaign that just sort of you tried it, you killed it, you put some serious thought into it budget into it. Uh, you mentioned the ROI and the, the measurement. What's, what's, your, what's your approach then to be able to justify the career advice center or you know, uh, your productized content? How do you then prove that it was worth that investment you just spent in it? Yeah. So, there's, so at, the, at, the, at the most upper level, the highest level, what we want to do is we want to, so, and this gets to the idea. So let's assume for the moment that we can actually as a business, look at this content experience that we want to create as a product, right? Yep. We would never expect any product at all start generating ROI the day after it goes live, right? In other words, if I'm rolling out a new iPhone and I'm Apple, I don't expect that the new iPhone achieves profitability on day two of its existence. No, I have sales projections. I have distribution projections. I have cost projections that go out for years in some cases right. before I sort of cross the line into profitability. That's the difference, right? So when I look at something like the career advice center or my blog or my resource, I'm looking at it as a product and I'm saying, where is my profitability? Now it's not day two, right? And which is sadly how often I see businesses looking at that, like day two of the blog's existence, we go, how many leads did it produce? Mm, and then we right. go none <laughs> because you haven't built an audience yet. It doesn't, right. hasn't even been indexed by Google yet. Right. So, you know, you haven't put any money behind it. So why would it produce any leads yet? And so if we say, great, okay, we're going to give it patience. This goes back to the top of the show. And we're talking about that it takes longer, is harder, is, you know, mm -hmm. less efficient. And so we say, great, we're going to give it 12 months, 18 months, two years, whatever the right time frame is for your, uh, your particular business. What is its goals? And, okay. you know, where does it sit in the buyer's journey? In other words, does it sit at the top of the funnel and it's supposed to deliver more reach? In other words, a better brand experience. Is it sitting in the middle of the funnel? Is it supposed to deliver more leads? 
is it at the end of the funnel or the bottom of the funnel where it's supposed to deliver you know less churn or more loyal customers or more valuable customers right. wherever it sits whatever its goals are what we look at is the delta we look at the delta between what customers come through that program and are engaged with content etc and what do they do versus other customers that come through other mechanisms and that delta is the ROI is the value perfect example is the monster example that I used earlier right the over 18 months what they've found is is that 20% of all of their traffic all organic traffic now comes through that platform and of course that makes perfect sense right right because they rank better for search engine optimization answering questions that people have that kind of content of course is going to do better organically than about sure. us and all yep. that so 20% of their organic traffic now comes through that okay. that has generated the most amazing statistic which i think is just so cool 65% conversion rate in mm. other words 65% of all the organic traffic ends in a job search which is exactly what they want right that's their currency right is how many people do job searches from the 65% who do job searches they created over that 18 months 3 million new members. So 3 million new members came through the, uh, the, the, the resource center, their uh, career advice center. They've estimated that if they were going to spend paid advertising to get those 3 million members, they would have gotten, you know, they would have spent, I can't remember what the number is off the top of my head, but millions of dollars. Right, right. You just do the math. You just do the these guys from Google, exactly. from an now, app, from Facebook. Now, they didn't spend zero dollars to True. get those three million new members. True. But they didn't spend millions of dollars to get those three members, right? Right. And so the delta between what we would have had to have spent to do it in other ways versus what we did spend to do it through content, that gap, that delta is your value in the ROI. Mm -hmm. And so it's like any other product. Does it help you acquire customers? Does it help you acquire leads? Does it help you create better customers, et cetera? There are strategic project, a product that creates strategic value for our company. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, doing the math, the justification, where did you get your traffic from? You know, when you mentioned the organic traffic does a job search, when you even told me about the career, the career center, right? I went there to see what you're talking about. And then before leaving, I just typed in marketing in the search for jobs before leaving, right? I, I came to the career center, I did a job search. And then later on, if I end up signing up for an account or just sort of register, then that would be, that's that flow. And I can, I can just see that happening. You came here, it's right at the top, search for jobs. And it's not even the most prominent thing, but it's there, there's a big purple button next to it. Uh, that's a great, that's a great process. And no one's tricked, right? It wasn't that AI paper. It, hopefully good content that is really helpful for people and hopefully they get the job from there and then tell their friends where they got it from. Yeah, that's, that's exactly cool. right. That's really cool. Man. Fantastic. <laughs> you're like, you know, you're like I have a new thing. lease on my content life. <laughs> well, this is, this is the thing. It is not, you know, as I like to say, this is a large shallow ocean. This is not, there's a lot to learn, mm -hmm. but it's not terribly complicated. Right. I mean, this right. is, it is, it, it, all we have to, the, the biggest challenge we have is quite frankly, just getting, you know, purposeful. And I don't really love that word, but, but getting sort of, you know, a purpose behind what it is we're doing so often right. in content, it just sort of feels like 
the business goes, ah, yeah, that's easy. Do that. Do, do some blogs. Do the, do the thing, right? And, and so our goal then becomes to create ever more widgets just to try and do something. Just something. You know, we're busy, yeah. so we must be successful, right? And, so, and, and just getting thoughtful about it and purposeful about it I, it just, it works. It just yeah. works. And, and, and it's just putting the care and feeding that we expect to get out of it, out of it. It's, you know, it just, it, it, it's amazing how that, you know, hard work pays off. Right. You know, it hard work and also that caring. I think when you care about something, it shows, it comes through, the results are better uh, of, of the product you've created. And then ideally the outcome is better as well. If you've been deliberate about it. Yeah. Makes sense. Very cool. I, I love the transition. Still talking content, but I, you've got a podcast, but doing it for I do. a while. I have two actually. Yeah. Oh, you have two now. That's two. Yeah. What, what are they? So I have two podcasts. One is called uh, The Weekly Wrap, um, put out by Content Marketing Institute. And it's basically just me um, where I, it's a very short 30 minute show that I do weekly. Mm -hmm. um, hence the name. And I sort of wrap up the news of the week. Um, I do one idea that's on my mind, you know, basically, a, a hopefully a, a little bit of a deep thought. And then I interview one person that I think is making truly great meaning and content. Um, and, and so I have, I typically interview one person. And so it's, it's, you know, it's just a quick 15 minute interview plus mm -hmm. yep. the, uh, the, um, the thing um, with the news and, and, and my thought. The second one is one that I've been doing for, oh my gosh, almost, well, besides the break we took, um, we've been doing it almost seven years. Wow. Um, and that's called PNRs This Old Marketing. And I do that with my pal, Joe Polizzi. Um, we've been doing that, for, like I said, forever. We took last year off um, because he took a, a year-long sabbatical. But we're back. Um, we're, I think we're four episodes into being back. And, um, that's just, he and I being snarky about the news and what's going on in marketing. So it's, it's a fun little sort of wind you up and get everybody excited show. That's really cool. Is that the one you mentioned, uh, the, uh, the, the beer and wine, the curd on or is that's the one? Yes, that's, that's the, the one. one. That's the one where Joe and I in the past have gone to, you know, events and, basically done, you know, done the show live from, we've done it right. live from content marketing world. We've done it live from a couple sure. of other events and always a disaster when we do that. Right. Cause the snark, there's no end in sight and it can kind of spiral out of control. Oh, they just go off the rails so quickly. Yeah. Right. And quite frankly, nobody at the, you know, we did it one time. We did it one time at a, at a trade show um, where we sat in a booth and did it live in, in, in a booth, you know, and you got people come up to you going, Hey, where's the, uh, where's the keynote supposed to be? And you're like, oh, I'm not really. I'm. We're kind of in a show right now. Hey, yeah. welcome to the show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, not terribly productive. No. So seven years. Yeah. That's. That's. 2013. Awesome. We started it in 2013 and and produced it consistently every week, um, for 200 and whatever uh, episodes, and then took a year off. Wow. A year and change, really. I mean, it was more Are like a year and like a half. you still like chatting with each other at this point? You haven't chatted yourselves out of... Uh... <laughs> well, it's funny. We haven't. Um, you know, you'd, you'd think that people would be bored, but, uh, you know, I, I guess we keep it, 
lively enough that right. people are, are, are still tuning in. It was, we, we, it was very heartwarming. Actually, we got a lot of tweets and a lot of emails um, from people who both missed it while I was gone and are very thankful that it's back. And it's very humbling actually. Oh. It's, uh, it's, it's a show that both he and I, both Joe and I love doing. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So it was, it was fun to be able to bring it back. Oh, for sure. And that, that kind of feedback is priceless. Um, but it's also, it's something you enjoy doing and you get that feedback. It's, it's doubly times. So how does that fit into marketing, right? You've been doing it for a while now. I kind of get a sense that more and more people are getting into it. You know, there's more apps now in that marketplace and the floodgates seem to be slowly opening. Um, what's your thought? Your, I mean, you've been doing this a lot longer than even I have. Like what's your take on you? Know, how, how was it? And then, where do you see it fitting into marketing now, especially as it, you know, it's like content. Where, where do you see it all kind of placed together? And now do you mean certainly audio content and podcasting or do you just mean content more broadly? Oh, podcasting for sure. Podcasting. So, yeah, it, yeah. you know, look, it is our experience. My experience with podcasting is it's kind of what I call it is it, it doesn't help you, uh, expand your reach what it does is that it helps you get much more intimate with the audience you do reach and what i mean by that is is that you know i can point to literally a handful in the last i don't know eight or nine years um of of audio content that i have created or podcast mm -hmm. content that i have created that has brought me some net new lead or net new piece of business. However, of the audiences we are reaching that I meet at a conference or that I meet out on the street or as a yep. client that I'm meeting with, the level of intimacy that we immediately create mm. when I first meet someone who is a listener of the podcast is 10x more personal. Yeah. They know me, right? They know they me. Do. They know my favorite they do, football yeah. teams. They know what I like to drink. They know what I care about. They know my position on the world. They, they know me and, and, you know, now I obviously don't know them as well, but as soon as they say they're a listener of the show, we have an immediate connection. And there's just an intimacy of being in someone's ear every week for, you know, years um, that is truly valuable. And so what I like to say is, is that it's not going to help me develop more audience, but the audience that I do reach, it definitely helps me establish a more intimate relationship with. That's what I love so much about podcasting. Yeah, I, I, I see, I see exactly what you're saying. And, um, it's like your audience has gone through that experience with you, whether it's an interview or, you know, me talking to you or, you know, when I talked to, you know, previous guests who shared some powerful story, it's like, wow, they were there. It's almost like we're all there in that room when that interview went down and, you know, we've kind of had that shared experience, even though we were just in a different place. I, I could yeah. totally see how that's the case. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really an amazing thing to me. I, you know, it's, you know, because like anything, right. You know, and you know, to, to your question also, you know, yeah, it's growing like a weed podcasting is certainly, sure. you know, everybody and their dog now has a podcast. Um, just like in the, you know, 2008 timeframe, everybody and their dog had a blog. Um, right. and so, 
you know, so it's, it's become the sort of du jour thing to have, but people are, you know, it's, people are falling away as quickly, you know, the, the sort of consistency and, and right. level of commitment that it takes to do a right. weekly, daily, or even monthly show is just, you sure. know, it's hard. You know yeah. this, you know, yeah. it's very hard to keep up the consistency. And so the people who do keep up that consistency get rewarded with people who, you know, are, are loyal. Right. And, um, and so that's, um, a good thing. That's a, that's a really good thing. It's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for me. Can you then dot, 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 justify that to some CFO or, you know, CEO who's like, Oh, we invested in this product called a podcast. <laughs> you know, is it, is it, that's how they talk, right? So see. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good impression. Justify so, this podcast and yeah. the fence on the budget. Yeah. <laughs> the variable expense on the budget here. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I always give them the Mr. Burn voice. Excellent. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. The, um, you know, it, it is the same, I would say, as the justification of investment in social media, uh, um, which is, it's an amplifier. It's also right? hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, a, it's an amplification or a multiplier. And uh, so when I say, you know, is the only thing I want to do, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I get a lot or that I give a lot when somebody comes up and says, what advice would you give somebody who's going to start, wants to start a podcast? I would yeah. say, don't start with one. Mm. Um, start with something else. Start with an email newsletter um, or very quickly at least develop an email newsletter, develop your blog, develop, you know, people who want to subscribe to your ideas. It's just easier. Uh, you know what I mean? And quite frankly, you want to tie it to some uh, owned media audience. And podcasting, as, you know, as popular as it is, is not an owned media experience, really. It's a shared media experience like social media is because you don't have access to those subscribers. They all subscribe to you via iTunes or the Android store or Google Play or, you know, whatever it is. And you don't know who they are. Um, right. Other than the fact that you have some uh, inkling of an aggregate number of how many there are, yeah. you have no idea to reach them and you're dependent upon iTunes and Google or Android to be able to reach them whenever mm. you put something out. And so you want something where you can transform or translate those audience members into someone you can reach. That's the ROI that that guy with the funny voice is looking Got for. Got it. Yeah. And so... If you're going to start with a podcast, I'd say don't start with one. Start with an email newsletter so you start building that audience. Because when we built, you know, Weekly Wrap, when I built PNRs This Old Marketing with Joe, we had an audience. We already, you know, we'd written a couple of books already. We had an audience. Email newsletter yeah, already, yeah, yeah. and so we had an audience baked in. So when we came out and said we have a podcast, well, we immediately had a few hundred listeners right from the get go. Right. That's the that's the key to making a podcast successful. It's a multiplier or an amplifier to your story and your message, and it shouldn't be the sole source of your story or message. Got it. That makes total sense. I don't know if it's Joe Rogan or he was quoting someone else. The whole, you know, when someone asked you, how do you how do you create, you know, how do you make a wildly successful podcast, you know, that everyone listens to, and the advice is first, you know, go get famous go be famous, then start a podcast. Because, That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly. The audience was already there. It just, now they're listening to them in that medium. Right. Right. You know, basically how do you make a million dollars in business? First, start with a million dollars. Then, right. you know, 
<laughs> they don't lose it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so and that's a way to, to foster that audience as opposed to getting, I mean, there'll be, there'll be the, the new ones that join, but not nearly as much as the impact you'll have on your existing family of connections and your existing audience. That's really exactly. Cool. That's exactly. I don't think I've heard someone state that, but it's really cool to hear that because that's like the truth. I mean, the troublemakers here telling <laughs> the truth that, you know, this is, this is what it's about. And there is actually value to that as well um, from your repeat buys and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. It's, you know, it's, you know, most content is built to get you an owned audience. And what I mean by owned is an addressable audience, one that you get to, you know, monetize over time. Podcasting is not that. Podcasting is a very much more like short, uh, social media where it is a shared audience and you get, you know, a small piece of their attention for, you know, every week or every month, et cetera, and you don't know who they are. And so what you want to do, you know, every successful podcast I know also has an accompanying email newsletter to subscribe to. Right. Right. That makes sense. Do you, do you think sort of speculating, you know, marketing likes to go after a buzz thing, um, inbound ABM, uh, whatever the term might be AI. Do you think <laughs> the podcast thing picks up, but then people don't realize that this isn't actually a, really a lead gen source as much as it's more maybe mid mid late funnel or even just recurring business. And so there may be people, you think it's like a blip on the radar or you think it's like a shift of how we get our content? You know, I think when we look at podcasting, it kind of doesn't matter where it, which buyer's journey, you know, part it's supporting. Sure. Um, I think it matters more about where you're looking to add a multiplier in deepening the relationship with your audience using a podcast. So I know great podcasts that are for customers, mm. you know, existing customers that, you know, teach them how to do cool things um, or talk about cool applications. Um, I know top of the funnel podcasts that are all about just, you know, delivering inspiration and insight into a particular type of topic and, and, you know, that aligns with the brand and all of that. And I know mid funnel podcasts that are meant to teach something and engage someone to want to change where they may want to, you know, ultimately sign up for webinars and stuff like that. So there's, it, it's independent of where it sits on the buyer's journey. Cause it quite frankly could sit in multiple places. Right. Um, but rather what is it I'm trying to multiply? What is it that I'm actually trying to, you know, to, to, to drive, you know? So a perfect example of this is uh, the, the difference between what we do, what Joe and I do with PNR, this old marketing, which is as top of the funnel as top gets, right? Mm. I mean, it is, it is built. We don't, you know, our, our whole goal there is not to teach anybody anything. There's no how-tos. There's no mm. best practices or tips or anything like that. It is all get you excited about the idea of marketing and specifically content in marketing, get you wound up about it, get you wanting to learn more. And where might you learn more? Well, you'll learn more at CMI's blog and blah, 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 and our, you know, and our resource centers and stuff like that. So it's all about just winding everybody up around a particular set of topics and as high as in the funnel as it gets. Now, mm -hmm. weekly wrap. Weekly wrap is covering the news. It's got some best practices. It's got some tips and tricks. It's going to refer you to some articles on how-tos, stuff like that. It's built 
for the audience of CMI, for the existing audience of CMI. Right. And in fact, we promote it through our subscribe newsletter. So basically, it is the support system of the weekly newsletter. You know, basically, the weekly newsletter comes out once a week, hence the name. And in it comes the link to my weekly episode. So it's basically a, you know, a multiplier of our weekly audience newsletter. And it's built to amplify and multiply that. Wow. So that's the real question I always have for anybody who wants to start a podcast is, what, what are you multiplying? What is it, what is it you want to amplify? What, you know, what stories do you want to tell? What audience do you want to develop a deeper connection with? And why do you want to develop that deeper connection? Right. Uh, a little, just even answering that question before doing it can help ensure you're going in the right direction. Oh, sure. You Absolutely. Know, yeah. I mean, because so many times we say, Hey, let's launch a podcast. Why? Cause it would be cool because mm -hmm. <laughs> it would be awesome and it sounds fun. And then you go, okay, well, yes, the, it is all of those things. Um, but it's also supposed to support some business objective we have. Right. Why do you want to create a podcast? Right. Wow. This is cool, man. I, I, I've, it's like such an honor to chat with someone who's been kind of doing the podcast thing for a while. You, you can get us thinking about our thinking when it comes to, you know, being intentional about anything we're doing, whether it's content creation or podcasting or marketing in general. Um, so I guess my, my, my next question to you is, is like, who are you? <laughs> Take <laughs> us back to like, you know, little Robert days. You know, did you always know you're going to become a sage? Did you always want to get into marketing? And no, you know, oh God, no, 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 no. I started, I, you know, I started, uh, I'm so first of all, I'm old. Let's just, let's just establish that. Um, Doesn't the phrase go, how old are you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm old. Do you want a plus or um, minus to give us a range? You know, I mean, it'll become evident about you how old I old am. Your voice. Um, I know the camera's not working, but you, you sound like a, and I've seen pictures of you on that stage at Content Marketing World. Oh, I look good for my age. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there it is, folks. There it is. But I am old though. Uh, it'll become kind of self-evident my age when I tell you the story. So basically I moved. So my hometown is Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and I consider it my hometown now because I've lived here for more than 30 years. Like actual um, LA, like the traffic LA. And I have lived in actual traffic LA. Yes. I've lived wow. in Hollywood. I've lived in West Hollywood. I've lived in the Hollywood Hills. Um, I now live in a little place called Calabasas, which is about hmm. um, 30 miles outside the city um, because I got smart and I wanted to move somewhere quiet. Um, and you know, so I came out to Los Angeles, right, right. I mean, literally walked off the college graduation stage, got in my car and drove to LA cause I was going to be a rock star and I wanted to be a musician rock star. Uh, right. And then I also wanted to write screenplays and novels and, um, because I did graduate with an English lit, um, degree. So, um, I, to some extent, I, you know, have a passion for storytelling and, and sure. stories. And that worked out about as well as you think it might. Um, you know, I, I will, you know, helpful safety tip in 1987, um, when you roll into Los Angeles and you play piano and the most popular uh, genres of music of the day are grunge rock and gangster rap, you're not oh, going to get called a lot. You know, as a white guy who plays piano, I didn't get called a lot um, for music. And so I ended up defaulting uh, to writing screenplays um, and did better there, did fairly well in writing, um, had a play go off Broadway. And then, oh, I really? had, and then I had a screenplay get picked up and, but hated the business. I absolutely detested the business of writing. 
Um, because quite frankly, writing um, for a living in Hollywood, as it is anywhere, is a marketing and sales job. It is not a writing job, right? Marketing, writing your, is part of the pay. Writing is part <laughs> of the experience. The real job of a writer is a marketing and sales job, which of course I didn't want to do. I didn't want to market right. and sales myself. Um, what was the play that that? Uh, and so, oh, dude. I mean, that's you know, <laughs> we need no, a whole I other set of well, yeah, well, drunk show we'll just about like that. a another one. But yeah, I wrote a play as well. So I'm just I'm just curious. Like, it was a was little one act play that uh, uh, it ran for about three and a half weeks, almost a month, um, at uh, at, a, at an off Broadway theater. It's it's still I'm pretty proud of it. Um, then in New York. Um, as part of a one-act festival that was uh, that was there, um, and uh, it was cool. It was a it was a cool experience, and um, but I hated the business, and so I ended up getting a job in the TV world because I had created this screenplay, and I needed to pay rent, um, and I got a job in marketing at a cable TV network, Showtime Network. You probably oh. have heard of it, and to this day, I will tell you, it's my best forty-hour-a-week W two job that I've ever had. Um, wow. The people there were amazing. Um, they were mentors. They were teachers. They were they basically immersed me in a marketing education that I couldn't really have gotten anywhere else. And um, it was just a great job, and I learned a lot. And this was you know now we're talking about the mid '90s, and the the internet was just starting to get its legs underneath it. And I ended up going and working in marketing in the dot com business for a number of years, and I sort of found my passion. I was like, right, this what I love doing, building you know building digital content, teaching marketing people how to build content platforms in those days it was called big websites, and I just sort of cut my teeth working with big entertainment companies and big consulting firms, learning how to do digital marketing from you know nineteen ninety nine onward. And yeah. ended up then sort of as a CMO of a software company, did the typical Silicon Valley, two rounds of funding, did the whole thing. And that's where I discovered content marketing. That was, mm -hmm. I built, you know, a media organization because it's what I knew how to do um, in the business. And it worked weirdly enough. And um, I built this little media. I didn't even know it was called content marketing in those days. Right. And then in 2008, I was out on the speaking circuit and met this guy, Joe Polizzi. And he was starting this thing called the Content Marketing Institute. And mm. the rest is history, as they say. Huh. What an interesting, like, interesting path. The, you know, the, the theater side, the piano side. Do you still play? I, not nearly as often as I should. Yeah. Um, for a time, I had a great, wonderful keyboard here in my office. Um, that I'm speaking to you from today. Yeah. Um, and I used to, every weekend I would sit down and I would play and practice and, and I haven't done that. And I mean, I've been busy trying to get this little company scaled up and, and it's mm -hmm. taken a lot of my, but that's not an excuse. I'm, I'm, I'm woefully behind in um, being able to spend some time at the keyboard. Yeah. I, you, I miss it. You think it's one of your under, yeah, you miss it. You want to be like your underlying passions is something that you just do. Music generally is a passion of mine. I love music. There is not, oh, that's not true. There's one genre of music that I'm not a fan of, which is um, sort of death metal. Um, oh, yeah. Really, I like I, power metal, though. No, I like power metal. I like <laughs> metal music. It's just the death metal stuff that Death I, metal, yeah. So angry. Why so angry? It's just, <laughs> there's that, and then there's just literally, eh, there's not a lot of melody with that. But um, Right. 
but every other genre of music I love from opera to rap to R&B to um, country to mm -hmm. classic rock and roll to blues to jazz. I, I love it all. I have a passion for music um, and, um, and I do miss playing music for sure. Yeah, I noticed that about theater for me, um, you know, growing up theater all the time. And then uh, every now and then when we go to the family to see some performance for the kids to watch, I just, I don't say envy, but I just, I see the people that are on stage and, um, and I'm like, oh yeah, they're, and I'm, I'm happy for them. I'm like, they're doing their thing. And they're like adults. So they're like professional. I'm like, oh, they're doing their thing. And I just, yeah. I feel that for them. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you're on stage too. You're on, you should just play piano next time you do a presentation. Well, I did. I did a content marketing world one year. I actually did, did open the show with a, with, by playing piano. And, and awesome. but you make a great point, which is I, what I have discovered over time. And this is also advice I give to um, young people when, whenever they ask, which is figuring out the function of what you want to do is m way more important than figuring out the form and what you want to do. And what I've realized is, is that I actually, you know, when I was a young kid, um, my main goal for my career was I wanted to perform, I wanted to write, and I wanted to teach. And, um, and, and I get to do all those things now. I just right. do it in a vastly different form than I ever thought I would. You know, my main, my main job is getting up on stage and teaching people things and writing about marketing. And so it's, it's, I'm getting to do everything I wanted to do in life. I just do it in a different form than I thought I would. The form over the function. That's very interesting. Yeah. That kind of, that probably explains why I haven't run away to the theater just yet and still have the marketing. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the, thing. it's the uh, figuring out what you want your perfect day to be, you know, and how, and, and the function of that, like, what do you want your activities to be in your perfect day? Right. Not the form of what you want them to be in. Right. Yeah, I did. I did research clown school, but then yeah, they didn't line up for the schedule. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, no, that's and, and then and that way you're satisfying that need and that underlying desire to express yourself and do that, do that function. That's very cool. You know, yeah. and you, and you, would that be your advice? Because oftentimes what I do is this is kind of perfect timing. What I do ask is if you were to go back in a time machine and advise yourself um, on, yeah, you know, at the very beginning of your marketing career, what would you what would you tell yourself? You know, the first thing I would do is, is, is tell myself to relax a little bit. Um, the other thing that I would tell myself is, uh, one, invest in companies like Dell and this stupid little company called Amazon and this little stupid company um, called Google because Google. Um, they're going to be big. Uh, Google, <laughs> but yeah. to answer your question more um, fulfillingly, I think the biggest advice that I would have for myself is to not get so uh, to not worry about the form of, of, of what it really is that you're doing, but to rather explore and be willing to explore the things that your, you know, that your gut, that your heart um, are telling you, right? Yeah. One of the things that mistakes, regrets, I guess you would say I have, I mean, I have no true regrets because I wouldn't be where I am today without the path that I've taken to get here. So it's hard to look back and go, I wish I would have done things differently because I'm kind of happy where I am. Um, and it, that my very nonlinear path has led me to this place. So I'm grateful for that. I have a lot of gratitude for it. But what I would say is, is that my, my, one of my regrets during the path, during my journey has been not following my heart as often as I might have. In other words, I think it's a, uh, 
I think it's a Jim Carrey. It's, it goes, it goes around from time to time his graduation thing, which is you can fail at things that you hate um, too. Right. In other words, he tells the story about his dad who absolutely hated his job, but stayed in his job because he liked, you know, he liked the money and he, but he didn't like it, et cetera, et cetera. And he got, you know, he was good at his job, but he didn't like it. He didn't like it. He didn't like it. And then he got to be 58 years old and they fired him. Right. Right. And so you can, you know, so you can get fired from things you don't like doing. And he said, so you might as well get fired from things that you love doing. And so there are, you know, there's a lesson to be learned there, which is we only get, you know, I mean, well, I mean this, now this gets into a much deeper discussion, but you know, depending on your point of view, we only get one go around at this whole thing. And so make it good, you know, make it something that you love doing. And even if you did, why, why, why waste this time? Right. That's right. We don't even know. if you get to so, go around again, don't this, this, it's not really worth wasting present. Time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, this is fantastic, man. Where, where can people connect with you? You know, throw some links out. We'll put them in the show notes. You know, do you want people to, harass you on linkedin twitter what's uh well that's very kind phone number you know whatever (laughs) right um yeah so there's there are really two places to to that i would that i would point to one is if you want to read about content and whatever qualifies as thought leadership and what we're talking about from a business perspective um that would be contentadvisory.net Okay. Um, or we've rolled out our fancy new domain, which is tca.inc. We got the .inc um, for that. So tca.inc, um, that will get you to the same place. And then um, for me, you know, books or, you know, speaking or anything like that, it's robertrose.net. Uh, um, and um, I, I went with .net on both of them. Someone once said the .net is the dad genes of of, oh, of no. And so I, I kind of like that. So I'm kind of leaning into it, the, the whole dad jeans thing of domains. Oh, man, you're as old as you feel. <laughs> right? Well, there you have it. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Those, and, of course, Twitter and LinkedIn, love to connect. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm easy to find on all, both of those platforms. Awesome. Awesome. And then I got I to gotta track down your play as well. Uh, oh, yeah. don't, don't, tra- don't Google too hard. It, it's really hard to find. It's, Is it hard to find? Are you going to tell me where it's called? Or do I have to... Do I have to- it it's you know i mean it's pre-internet so you're not going to find a lot you know you I might know. find a clipping of a news thing somewhere right but it's, <laughs> it's, this is all pre-internet so it's you know it's not terribly googleable right and but you have you have several books um do you want to just you know, throw those titles out real quick i do yeah so there's the yeah. the first book was called managing content marketing that was with my pal joe um, if you want to look at that, it's managingcontentmarketing.com. We did get the .com for that one. Nice. Um, the second book I wrote was skinny called Skinny Jeans. You got the Skinny Jean domain. What's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the second book is called Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing. And I wrote that with my pal, Carla Johnson, um, which is a really geeky book if you're into geeking out on process and business Dem- process. And then the last book, which I also wrote with my pal Joe, was a book called Killing Marketing, which is about how businesses are transforming their marketing from a cost center to a profit center, which is an interesting trend that we've started to see. Um, and all of that, so Killing Marketing is killingmarketing.com. So there you go. Wow. You know, I'm pretty sure I have that looking at the cover again. I'm going to go have to pull that out again. You know, yeah. here, here I am. I'm talking, you know, years later to someone that... <laughs> That, I, that I've uh, read your book. So, man, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on here and just sort of like opening up your brain, letting a little bit of it spill out, you know, um, and just there's so much, 
so much I, I even I've learned from this as well. Well, I'm so glad for that. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a real, real pleasure, a fun discussion for sure. Absolutely. And something tells me we could geek out on theater and hiking and maybe we'll have to schedule <laughs> a time for that later on. There you go. Um, you know, for everyone out there listening, uh, if you've learned something, and I know you did because I literally have two pages of notes and I ran out of space, drawing in the margins, um, share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to one other person. And uh, especially around this content, there's so much here. Gonna have to listen to this a couple times to digest, but definitely share this with someone else. And and Robert, thanks again for being on here and just you know kind of sharing your wisdom. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Awesome. Thanks everyone, and uh, we will catch you all next time. <laughs>